0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good evening, everyone. We're glad that you're here with us. And for those of you who are watching on Sunday morning, good morning to you as well. We, uh, we love... The opportunity to not only worship, but also to go deep in God's word, but in a relevant way that talks about the crisis that we're in. There are certain books of the Bible that speak specifically about suffering, suffering from a biblical perspective or suffering from God's perspective. And Habakkuk is one of those books. We started this series actually on Palm Sunday where we discussed together Habakkuk 1. And in Habakkuk 1, we, we see that Habakkuk is, is, is confused, uh, he's angry. He actually at one point says, or comes close to saying, he doesn't quite say it, but he says, God, are you crazy? And his level of honesty and his level of suffering, and how he responds to God, and then also how God responds to him, I think is incredibly relevant for the crisis that we're going through right now. And God explains to Habakkuk something, speaks to him something that's really important that you and I get. He says, I can't really tell you what's happening. It isn't because he doesn't know what's happening, but he says, I can't tell you what's happening because if I tell you, you won't believe it. And if I tell you, it is beyond your understanding. And so this amazing book is a book for people who are going through a season where they're having to endure suffering and they don't know when it's going to end. They don't know how to make it end. And they have to endure it. They have to go through it. And this book is about how do you make the most of a season in your life where you've lost control? Where you feel disconnected? See, what happened historically is that there was this really good king. His name was Josiah. Josiah loved the Lord, loved the law of the Lord. And he restored... The devotion and the worship of the one true God. He turned Judah's hearts towards God. And the thought was that both because spiritually there had been this awakening, this revival, and economically and even politically there had come security and peace, the thought was that it would continue. That Josiah had begun something that would continue for generations. But Josiah died. He died rather unexpectedly. He died pretty young. He was under 40. And what happened is his sons and his grandsons did not take Judah to a better place. It became insufferable. It became worse than it had ever been. These were wicked kings. And and this was a tumultuous time. And so Habakkuk, a prophet of the Lord, said, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you letting this happen? Why are you doing nothing? And he comes and, and he actually complains to the Lord twice in that first chapter. And then in this second chapter, he's waiting for God to respond. So this is an interval. There had been one response by God. He complains again, this time even more forcefully. And then verses one through four of chapter two are basically Habakkuk in an interval, not yet having heard a second time from the Lord. And here are his words He says, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. ancient texts and this prophetic word and we bring it into our day, you'll realize that there have been these parallels that have taken place in generations that came before us. See, when a society or a group of people has experienced a run of good times and financial security and political and, and military security, we begin to believe that this is the way it should always be And our expectation is not just that things will stay the same, but that they'll actually get better. So one writer said it this way, the view that peace and prosperity are the rule in the world and the right of all sensible folks. So some of us have an assumption, an expectation that in our lifetime we'll always see peace and we'll always see prosperity. That's just our right. But if, if you study your Bible carefully, you'll see that the Bible doesn't take such a view of the world and it doesn't portray history that way. This, this prophetic book, Habakkuk, is one that gives a totally different view than we have a right to peace and prosperity. This book, along with Job and many of the Psalms, help us, if we will let it, they will help us to deal with circumstances where it seems we've lost control and we're disconnected even from the things that feel like our rights or our demands. Now, this is one of the things I love about Habakkuk and one of the things that I advise you to do. Don't stuff your emotions. Don't just hide and veil and use the word fine a lot. Actually, here, Habakkuk complains. He's yelling at God. And he doesn't get the answer he wants from God. God actually says to Habakkuk, it's going to get worse. I'm going to bring the Babylonians. And you know, see, Habakkuk has said, God, why have you done nothing about your people, Judah? And then God says, well, I'm preparing the Babylonians and they're going to come And they're going to discipline Judah. And and Habakkuk goes, that is not what I asked for. That's not what I want you to say. And he complains again. And then we we see this in between time. And can I just somehow get across to you that some of the most important things spiritually, some of the most important things emotionally, some of the most important things for your destiny happen in the waiting and the in-between time. In between between the time of getting a dream and the fulfillment of the dream. In between when you have a desire and when that desire is met. When you get a hope and then the hope is completed or fulfilled. The in-between times are incredibly important. And this scripture teaches that the idea of waiting on the Lord cannot simply be a cliché. Now, I I would say to you that Habakkuk destroys the kind of Christian superficiality that doesn't let people complain or doesn't let people get upset and just says, wait on the Lord. And he basically says, I'm uncomfortable with your emotions. So don't share with me how depressed you are or how upset you are or whatever it is. Because here is the inspired word of God and Habakkuk is complaining to God about his suffering and about how God seems silent, and how God doesn't seem to be doing anything. So it cannot be that waiting on the Lord is just some kind of cliché, so you fake it till you make it, or some kind of cliché where you don't get up these difficult emotions. Let me just say to you, generally the in-between time is a time that pushes you so that the darkest and deepest emotions and the dark side of your soul actually gets manifest so that it can be healed. And many times, we will stay in a dark place until we're willing to be honest about the darkness that's manifesting in our soul. Because God will not allow us to stay in a fantasy realm of spirituality for even a minute. Because the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And so He puts us in in in-between times. And he says, I'm going to make you wait. Now, the decision that you get to make is is the waiting going to make you bitter? Or is the waiting going to get you to your destiny? Is it going to make you stronger? It's your choice. Because the truth is, and those of us who have lived long enough with God, we have never been able to speed him up. And we've never been able to slow him down when, we, when he wants to go fast. So, when it's time to run, you got to run. And when it's time to wait, you got to wait. And so the Scripture here says, this season of our life is a waiting season. It's an in-between time. And Habakkuk explains to us, how do we get through this well? How do we respond well? And the, the word that keeps coming up is to wait on the Lord. But it is a, there's a content. There's not a passivity to this waiting. It's an active waiting. It's a positioning of yourself. It's a posture. It's an attitude. It's an adjustment. So, first and foremost, what Habakkuk says is that you can't wait without patience. So look at what it says in verse 3. The revelation of God. When God's going to explain what's going on or show to you what's going on or show you the purpose of, for the waiting, he says, that revelation awaits for its appointed time. In other words, you can't speed it up. God has appointed the time for the revelation for you to understand what He's accomplishing in these in-between times. He even says, if it lingers longer than you think it should, he says, wait for it. Now, to wait in Hebrew is actually the essence of patience. It's the idea that I don't give up I don't despair. And even if I get agitated, which patience doesn't get agitated, but if I do get agitated, I ask the question, why do I not have patience for this waiting? What is it in me that keeps me agitated? My adrenaline up, my sense of alert, high alert, my sense of, oh no, I'm in danger, so that I get agitated instead of, instinctively responding with patience. You see, you can't wait on the Lord if you're agitated. The agitation will keep you from being able to hear from the Lord. So what Habakkuk is saying here is he positioned himself in the midst of his troubles to be patient. So what does it take to be patient? Well, the truth is that Habakkuk and the Scriptures generally say there's two elements of patience that have to be there. The first is, there has to be a true humility. I'm not talking about a modesty. I'm not talking about a false humility. I'm talking about a true humility, a radical kind of honesty that is able to look and say, okay, these were not my plans. This is not the way I expected 2020 to go. The Apostle James has a very interesting view of this. He says, before you say that you're going to do anything, you should also have a heart condition that says, only if the will of God, only if the Lord wills, will I do this. I'm not saying every time you're about to make a plan, you look at people with this super spiritual nonsense, bogus baloney, and say, oh, if the Lord wills. I've been around people like that, and they really were some of the most pompous, arrogant people, and it really wasn't humility. It was just they wanted everybody to know how spiritual they were. This is really a heart thing that says, wait a minute. I cannot live believing that I am omniscient. I cannot presume of myself that I know all things that are to come, but I know the one who knows all things to come. You see, what many of us don't want to look at is when we get angry about what happens, or if we're hurt by what happens, or we're having tremendous anxiety about what happens, we're really living under the assumption that we know what should happen. And we have already planned what can happen, and for some reason, God is not allowing our good plans to take place. What what that reveals isn't that you're a visionary. It reveals that you're in idolatry. It reveals that pride, protecting your ego, is saying, this is how the world should be for me. This is how people should act. This is what should take place. In other words, what Habakkuk, what James is saying is, you will not be able to patiently wait on the Lord if you already know what the Lord should be doing and when he should do it, and how he should do it. And you might say, well, I would never... Pre-. Yeah, we do. As soon as something happens that we don't expect, we say things like, oh, I should have known. How did I let that happen? How did I let that person trick me? How did I get fooled by this? Why wasn't I prepared for this? That's you saying, I assume I should have omniscience about what's happening. And when you say that, friends, you're not humble. You're prideful. You you have a belief that somehow by willpower and by mental planning and all of these things that you can make happen what only God can make happen. See, waiting on the Lord is a humility that says, I don't know, but He knows. Which then allows you, if you have this kind of humility, you look at at a circumstance, even if it's not the one you want it to be, You look at the circumstance and you say, okay, God has put this in my path, and God is good, and God loves me, so this must be for my personal growth. This must be part of the curriculum of the Holy Spirit to make me the woman or the man that I I was meant to be. You see, that is what the Scripture says over and over again. Let patience have its perfect work. This is the path of greatness. If you think the path of greatness is to get everything your will wants done, that's not greatness. That's folly. You're not a good God. But when you begin to realize that these things that are in our life are here right now as an opportunity for greatness... And you may not like that word greatness. I like the word greatness because I believe that's what Jesus means in in John 15 when He says, you know, abide in Me and you will bear much fruit, fruit that remains, multiplied fruit. He's saying I've done everything and I've given you a source for greatness. Now trust Me when you're going through the in-between time that this is necessary For you to become what I have intended you to become. Romans 5 clearly says that you can't be a person of character who hasn't gone through perseverance. And the truth is, I have never seen a person with a great prayer life or who had an intimate connection with God who had not gone through difficult times and persevered and endured and in it learned patience. Learned. I love what Job says. He he is very honest, and he says he has just you know he has destroyed me. He has taken away everything that I have. But then he says, when he has tested me, I will come forth as pure gold. You understand? Whatever you're going through, and this crisis is one that's got our attention. The words of Job need to be in your heart. When he has tested me, I will come forth as pure gold. Well, Habakkuk goes further and says, it has to be this kind of actively waiting on God. And he says it really clearly. He says, I'm not just going to lay in my bed and pull the covers over my head till this is over. He says, I will station myself on the tower. Well, why do you go to the tower? You go to the tower because it has the greatest perspective. You're in a position where you're watching, where you can see. Well, what does that mean spiritually? He's really saying that you can't let the problem, whether it's the virus or the economy or the relationships, you cannot let the problem be all that speaks to you. Whatever speaks to you is how your heart is either going to be filled with fear and worry and concern or your heart is going to be filled with hope and faith and anticipation. But you have to move from where you are like Habakkuk did and go to the place of perspective, the tower, the high place. Well, when he says this, you see, even sufferings, when you're on the tower looking for and watching for what the Lord is going to say, then even your sufferings begin to have perspective. Paul said it this way. He said that even his present sufferings, and, and, and Paul was truly one who experienced prison. He experienced uh, incredible physical suffering. He He encountered incredible rejection, uh, deprivations, all kinds of things. He said, but these present sufferings, he said, are nothing compared to the glory that is mine. It's always about perspective. Am I only stuck where the only thing speaking to me are my present circumstances? Basically, what, what Paul had in terms of perspective is this. And what I would like you to get tonight. You see, the, the sickness that could really kill you, could really destroy you, has already been paid for and has already been suffered for you by Jesus Himself. That debt is paid. And the economic debt, the, the, the fear that you have of, of being, you know, not having finances, not having independence not having security or control. If you realize, if your perspective is right, you realize that the only debt that could really sink you has already been paid on the cross. See, if, if somehow you're saying, oh, all that matters is that I don't get the coronavirus, or all that matters is if I keep my job, and I keep my salary, and I keep my present, you know, cost of living, and all of these, you know, uh, Uh, life, you know, doesn't have to change for me. If that's what you think is significant, then this period has already defeated you. But if you realize by perspective from the tower, the debt that matters has already been paid. And the sickness that leads to death has already had the doors blown out of it because Jesus went into that for you and blew the doors out of death and opened a way right through death for you. See, Paul is meditating not on how bad it is right now. As a matter of fact, I love one of his sayings to Timothy. He says, I may be bound, but the Word of God is never bound. I may be captive, But the Word of God is never captive. What an awesome word from a man in prison. A man about to be executed. You see, what he said was, I'm going to meditate on the glory that is to come. I'm not weighed down by the present sufferings. I'm going to think about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to meditate and marinate my soul in that until I can handle my present reality. What this really is about when you talk about waiting on the Lord is really about learning to be still. Because look, if you are agitated and you're restless and you're yelling all the time and you're upset all the time, guess what? You can't hear God. See, one of the best times to learn to hear from God is when you're facing obstacles. And what that means is, Physiologically you have this sort of you have this right side of your brain that's your intuitive side and it's your creative side it's also the side that has all your memories. So if you've only ever studied God's word analytically and you've only ever studied God's word in a way that that you know is just like a science project or a logic problem or whatever it might be then it's not touching the places of your pain. And God's Word wants to migrate from the analytical side where you keep it at arm's length and it wants to come into your heart and into that intuitive place and into your instincts. And it wants to speak to your memories and speak to your pain. And it wants to say to you, the promises of God and the presence of God will not let you down. So in this season, if you're trying to pray and you're trying to be still and you just can't, can I just tell you? Take a notepad. Take a notepad when you pray. Write down everything that comes up. If a to-do list comes up, then write down the to-do list and thank God for the new to-do list you have. Because what will happen is if you will if you'll go after learning to be still before the Lord and, and all that comes up is a great to-do list to, to distract you, then you'll have the best to-do list and you'll get stuff done during this season. But you see, if... if if you won't fight it in terms of saying, oh, no, I can never hear from God. Oh, no, I can never be peaceful. Oh, no, I can never learn to be still. If you won't learn to linger and wait on the Lord, then everything he has to say to you will bounce off of you or will just pass you by. And especially if you've got an issue with shame or guilt. You understand, that's exactly the debt that has been paid, the debt of your shame, the debt of your guilt. I absolutely love what John says in his first epistle. He says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. What what Jesus has done is he's tied your guilt and he's tied your shame to forgiveness and he's tied forgiveness to the justice of God so that now... Because God has received, the Father has received the debt that was paid by Jesus. Because the Father has received that debt, the Father will never ask for a second payment from you. It is finished. Your sickness is paid for. Your sin is paid for. Your debts are paid for. And what happens is when you begin to focus On letting the Word of God come into your heart. Let it come into the creative side of your mind. Let it come into your memories. When you allow that to happen, then He will clean up the ungodly images and He'll take away the distraction. And by His Spirit and by His presence, He will teach you to be still. And being still is when the vision comes, when the revelation comes. Fixing Your eyes on Jesus. You see, we can fix our eyes on our problems and the problems will speak to us. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, even picturing Jesus, allowing Him to speak in pictures to us, allowing Him to speak from from memory of verses or sermons or different teachings that we, we have learned, what will happen is Jesus has Himself said, that out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. He wants, from within your heart, as you are still before Him in the in-between time, He wants to flow His life in you, His words in you, His revelation to you. But you got to learn to tune into that flow. Even in the Old Testament, the word for the prophetic, of which Habakkuk was one, was the word nabah, which means to bubble up or to flow. This is your season in the in-between time to learn to flow in the Word of God, to flow in the presence of God, to fix your eyes on Jesus instead of fixing your eyes on the problems. And, and this is important because with the uncertainty of the future, if you fix your eyes on the uncertainty... You're going to always be using your greatest mental abilities to try to figure out what's going to happen. Instead of saying, Lord, you already know what's going to happen. Will you reveal to me what I need to know today? This is very personal to me. The, I, was about, I was sick with the COVID-19 for about nine days, ten days. Fever, body aches. Didn't go into my lungs, but cough and some of the other things. And of course, Lisa was concerned for me, but we were also very concerned for her. So we quarantined from each other so that no germs of mine would come to her. But in the midst of this, every morning around 3 o'clock, 3.30, sometimes as late as 4, it would depend on how long I could sleep before the pain became too much. And I would wake up, and I would say to the Lord, Lord, the pain is not going away, but will you be present? What are you saying? What are you telling me? And it was so interesting because I had been, um, I had been since January, I had a list of six things I prayed every morning that I asked the Lord about. Three of them were for the church. Three of them were for Lisa and me personally. And there were three things I really cared about. And I had gotten upset with the Lord because I I didn't hear no, but I never heard yes. And what I've learned after years is just because he doesn't say no doesn't mean he's saying yes. And I kept going, Lord, will you give me the green light to do these things? Will you let me, this is what I want, will you do this? And I just kept praying that, but I kept hearing this one thing. Because I I did set myself at the tower. I did listen. I did watch. And he said, I'm about to do something. I can't explain to you, but everything's going to change. So he's been telling me that since January. And then when I got up and I was talking with him at three and four, most of the time I was interceding for our medical professionals, all the people in our church who are on the front lines, praying for all our church. But... But I was saying to him, Lord, this is what you were talking about. This change, right? Everything has changed now. And I looked at the things that I said, Lord, I want you to say yes to these things. And if he had said yes to those things, Lisa and I probably wouldn't have survived. She probably would have gotten sick. Everything he said either wait or no to was actually for my protection. And it was for Lisa's protection. And my day began every day thanking Him for His wisdom, for His provision. And then praying that same wisdom and provision for each of you. And even though I was in pain, the sense of His tenderness and His presence with me. You see, all of us go through in-between times. Times that we say, you know, I bound covid I cursed coronaviruses. I mean, I did every spiritual warfare thing I knew to do, and it didn't go away. It was an in between time. But in the midst of that, when I couldn't sleep, I was in his presence, and he was explaining and revealing things to me of why he had said no to this and why he had said, wait on that. And in every case, he has done so to save our church, to protect this ministry. And he has done so to save me and to save my wife. His revelation, wait for it, is what it says here. But it'll bubble up. It'll flow. Well, once you hear it, then you got to be obedient. Listen what Habakkuk says. He says, I go to the tower, but then he says, but I'm a sentry. I'm a guard. I stand my watch, he says. You see, a sentry on duty can't leave their post no matter what. They can't say, oh, I'm sick. I don't feel like it. This is basically Habakkuk's way of saying that I'm going to wait in the in-between time and I will not consider in any way walking away. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to stand my guard. I'm going to stand in my watch. See, it doesn't matter if it's weariness or boredom or disappointment. Habakkuk is saying, if you really want to hear from God, you can't leave your post. And you and I know this, but we sometimes forget it. Is that if somebody is waiting on somebody else, it's usually because they're serving somebody else. And we call servers at a restaurant waiters. They wait on us, but what are they really doing? They're serving us. So what is it that Habakkuk is saying? He's saying that no matter what goes on in his life, he's going to serve the Lord. He's not going to have one moment of consideration. Even though his life is tough, it's not going the way he wants to do it to go, but he's not leaving his post and he knows who Serves So to wait is to serve. See, there's never never a time in which you cannot serve the Lord. And can you imagine if a century is brought up before a tribunal or court-martial and says, well, you know, I left my post, but I was bored. I just thought, "This, this isn't doing anything for me. Uh, It wasn't the job I thought it was. You know, no tribunal would let a sentry officer, okay, great, okay, you were bored, you know, it's all right, you abandoned your post, that's fine. No, no one's going to say that to you. You see, these negative circumstances that we're going through are not an excuse to stop doing the things that will advance us. Prayer, worship, Bible study. Maybe we can't do small groups. Maybe we do Zoom small groups. Whatever it is. But the reality is we have to keep serving even while we're waiting. John Newton was the writer of Amazing Grace. He's an incredible hymn writer and an amazing preacher. Someone came to John Newton and said, you know, this praying thing is not doing anything for me. And Newton looked at him and said, well, I can guarantee you that not praying will not do anything for you either. See, if if we are not careful, what will happen is if we quit serving the Lord and if we leave our post, we'll go back to things. Trying to go back to things that will destroy us, but so that they'll make us feel good. Look at the things of sex and food and shopping and all of this stuff in order to just soothe our anxiety or to to distract us from this in-between season. When we give in to those things, we're basically leaving our post. We're saying, this isn't doing anything for me to be on guard, to be in the place of watchfulness. But you see, if I fix my eyes on Jesus, well, Hebrews 12, 2, then this intuitive flow from the inside comes from Jesus. If I fix my gaze only on some flow of my own heart, then the intuitive flow or the bubbling up flow comes from my desire. It doesn't come from Jesus. In order to have a pure flow, I must become still. And I carefully fix my eyes on Jesus. Worshipping the King Learning to quiet my soul and receiving out of the stillness all that he has for me. Now, if I'm waiting on the Lord in this way, then there is an amazing promise in Luke 12. It's one of the most staggering things. He talks about how a master went away on a trip. <clears throat> and he left behind his servants. He didn't tell them when he was coming back. He just said, stay faithful while I am gone. And the master, he says, Jesus tells this parable, the master comes back, and he finds that his servants have been faithfully watching and waiting and obeying and serving in the absence of their master. And then Jesus explains that the Master then will seat the servants at the table. The Master will gird up His robe so that He can then serve His servants. He will give of His abundance to His servants. He will satisfy their deepest desires and He will serve them until they are utterly and completely fulfilled. You see, this is is not the way of a master and a servant, but this is the way of Jesus and those who wait patiently on Him and those who wait obediently upon Him and those who wait with perspective and who go and look for His Word and look for ways to serve Him. Jesus says, if you're waiting on Me, then the day will come where I will wait on you. If you're serving me, then the day will come where I will hitch up my robe and I will serve you out of my abundance and I will serve you to the complete fullness of your life, your soul, everything. Now how do I know that He'll do this? He told the parable about Himself and about you and me. But I know He'll do this Because on the week in which he was crucified, he went into a home where there was no servant to wash the feet, and Jesus stripped down as if he were a slave. He took a basin of water, and he washed his disciples' feet. He didn't just do that because they had dirty feet. He did that because he was anticipating the day in which in the great the great consummation of all of our waiting he will pour out upon us and our suffering will seem like nothing compared to the glory that the lord serves us with and gives to us in its fullness this is this is our master This is what He has for you. This is what is waiting for you. Look, this is just the in-between time. One writer said it this way. When you are there in His glory, all your sufferings will seem like nothing more than a bad night in a bad hotel. But if you don't have perspective, if you're not on the tower watching, if you're not willing to... Keep your post, guard your post, stay at your post. If you're not humble, if you're not seeing this as part of the curriculum of the Holy Spirit, then this will be a miserable time that will make your soul smaller and bitter. But God is providing this in our lives so that patience can have its perfect work in us. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, We repent of thinking we have to know or that we can know or that we do know or even thinking that we understand. But we choose this day to be people who in patience wait upon you, which means according to the the words of the prophet, which means that We look at this as a great opportunity. We don't just say that as a cliche, but we say that the curriculum of the Holy Spirit is producing greatness in us. Because that's the will of Jesus for us. We choose not to leave our post, but rather to ascend to the tower, to wait for the vision, to wait for the revelation, to hear from you because we've got our hearts still before you. Lord, I have expectation that anyone that's listening tonight, that you're going to bubble up your words. You're going to bubble up a flow in them of of truth and, 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 and guidance and wisdom and understanding. Because you said if we fix our eyes on Christ, he's the author and the finisher. To wait on you is to serve you. To look for ways not to disengage during this time, but to look for ways to go deeper. But I ask, as I, I think about this whole situation, I, I am overwhelmed in a way by that picture of your parable. That if we wait on you, if we're faithful, watching for you in the in-between time, then you will seat us at your table. You will... Take on the servant's robe and you will fill us from your own abundance and your own supply. What an amazing promise. We receive that promise now that our suffering is not in vain. It's not even comparable to the glory that is reserved for us. In Jesus' name, amen.